less than 300 people on a planet with seven and a half billion people have been to all the countries in the world. To sort of put that in perspective, you can look at space because we have more than 550 people who have gone to space. So you have far more people who have gone to space than every country in the world. And then I discovered that no one has done it completely without flying. And that captivated me. And those are the words of inspiration from our guest today on Dear Future Grandkids. Welcome, I'm Anjan Hong Kong, and you'll hear from Jen and Percy, my co-presenters later. This week, we have a guest who proves that you can be an ordinary person and still do extraordinary things, as long as you have a big dream and a pen. There's so much to take away from this episode. We really hope you enjoy it. I'll be back after the show with some shout outs and some behind the scenes tidbits. Meanwhile, enjoy the show. Hi everyone, I'm Jen, aka Joey, and that's Percy, aka Chandler, no longer Ross, and that is Ange, but really she is Monica. And welcome to Dear Future Grandkids. This is a show where we ask an interesting guest a big question. What would you say to your future grandkids? I'm really excited about our guest on today's show. He has traveled to 194 countries without flying, and he's still counting. I think I've been in a total of 20 countries and a lot of them with Monica over there. Uh, <laughs> good for me, bad for her. I think I've been to about 38 countries, I think, last time I counted. Yeah, many of them with both of you. How about you, Jen? How many have you been to? I think I've been to a total of 35 countries. I think eight with you and I think three with Percy as well. Can you imagine going to all these countries without flying? which is what makes our next guest so amazing. Today, we're building a video time capsule for a person who started his quest of traveling to every country in the world without flying, which means he had to get from place to place by cars, boats, ships, bullet trains, tuk-tuks, and even camels. He started his journey in 2013 from Denmark, where he's from, and is now just nine countries short from completing his journey. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Thor! What a name! Hey, hey, hello, everyone. How are you? How are you doing today, Thor? Oh, I'm very good. Uh, weather is lovely. It's dry. It's a beautiful day. I'm here in Hong Kong. So, what could I complain about? Okay, can I just tell you that we envy you? You, you travel to 194 countries and I'm thinking I need to go out more. <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing to envy, I, I, I promise you. Perhaps some of the experiences I've had and the people I've met, but to go out and do this in one line and not return home until the end is not something that you would be envying. Wow, since 2013, you must have a lot of memories. Can you tell us some of those experiences that you've had? Most of the experiences I've had are, have either been tied up to transportation because it does involve a lot of transportation, sitting inside buses for hours or days and trains and so on. But a lot of the memorable experiences, they're tied up to people. It's truly a people project and I've met an incredible amount of people across this planet. I remember being on board a ship in a storm going across the North Atlantic in the wintertime and the ship was all over the place and thunder and lightning and the uh, ocean was spraying up over the containers and waves were crashing in left and right. The storm lasted four days and I was really scared and I'd never seen anything like that before. So that, that really stuck out. And then the day after that, the ocean went absolutely flat, like a glass of water, that kind of flat, but the entire ocean. And it had this deep blue color and then you could see small ripples 
once in a while. And every time there was a movement at the surface, it was because there was a whale or because there was a dolphin. And then when mm. the sun went down and the night sky covered the ship and the stars came out, we were so far north, we had northern lights dance across the sky. So that was really memorable. I've uh, been fortunate to see a rocket get sent into space from Cape Canaveral. I realized I've never seen anything leave this planet before. Birds, they take off and they land. You shoot a, a bullet into the sky, it comes down again. Everything comes down to this planet. But that rocket left the planet and went somewhere else. And that was really astonishing. I made it down to Peru and I was fortunate to go and see Machu Picchu which is so well preserved. The setting is stunning in between the mountains and the clouds come in. The title of the show is Dear Future Grandkids. Have you ever imagined yourself as a grandfather? I have thought about growing old and having grandchildren and the stories I would tell them. And I think I would be the kind of grandfather that has no tolerance whatsoever. So when the children, they say that they're hungry, then I would tell them, hungry? What do you mean hungry? I remember the time I was in that country. I didn't eat for three days. And if they say, what, I'm cold, I say, cold? Do you know when I was in Greenland, it was so cold. Say, I'm hot. Hot? What do you know about hot? Hey, grandfather, I can't get to the other side of the road because of traffic. What so do you mean you can't get to mean? the other side of the road? <laughs> I remember when I was crossing the roads in Tehran. That was the most crazy traffic in the planet. <laughs> well, we're going to start you off with some quick fire questions to get to know you a little bit better. So in three words, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling really, really good. Until quite recently, I had uh, a big beard. And the reason why is because I only shave when I see my fiance. And we recently got married and she was able to come and reunite with me here in Hong Kong. So I shaved and she's here in Hong Kong with me now. So I'm feeling really good about that. Yes, because when we had dumplings together, you had this massive long beard. I think it's been 17 months. 19 months, in fact. I know you've been everywhere, but where were you born? I was born in Denmark. Very quickly after being born, we moved to Canada and then we moved to the US and then we came back to Denmark again. Where are you now, right now? I'm in Hong Kong, which is a special administrative region of China. I came to Hong Kong for transit only. So I came here on board a container ship and it was supposed to be four days. Then it was prolonged due to Chinese New Year. And then the country I was trying to get to closed its borders due to a virus. And then a few months after that, it was declared a global pandemic. And I've now been here for more than 400 days. I'm curious because you don't you don't fly in these uh, 194 countries that you go to. Can we just go back? Do you remember the first time you flew on a plane? No, because I wouldn't have been able to walk the first time I flew. I was born in Denmark, but then almost immediately, maybe within a couple of months, my father got stationed in Canada. Ah, so do you remember the last time you flew on a plane? This project began on the 10th of October, 2013. My girlfriend at the time, uh, my wife today, and I, we decided to do a marathon together. And that was in Berlin in Germany. So we flew from Denmark to Berlin and ran the marathon. And then a day later, we flew back home again. So about two weeks before the 10th of October, 2013. Wow. What was the best job you've ever had? Legoland. I was a pirate at Legoland and the, the hands down, I don't think I'll ever have a job that good again. Lego is a Danish product. The first Legoland in the world was built in Denmark and it must be close to 50 years old now. And it was a summer job and there was no future prospects, low wage and you're not going anywhere. 
but you're having a great time. So you're showing up at this park every morning to people who come with expectations of having a good day. They want to go on the rides. They want to see all the miniature buildings and cities and just have a great time. So everyone's there smiling and happy. And I'm dressed up as a pirate with uh, big shoes, with big buckles on them. And they gave me a Lego sword. And then I could walk around and lose uh, sword fights with all the children. Whenever I wanted to, I could sneak up behind the parents. And then I could put the sword around their neck and, go, and the children would laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh. The job was so good that I came 15, 20 minutes early every day just to be there. <laughs> you do a mean pirate roar. Can you do that again? Because we just yeah, need to hear it. <laughs> that's why you do well at sea. Okay, that was, that's the best job you ever had. Really good yeah. job, I must say. What's the worst yeah. job you ever had? I was in the army a long time ago, and then I trained to become a United Nations peacekeeper. And we trained for a mission, and then the mission was on hold. The army base sent us home and said, you're on standby, but you're going to be on standby probably for six months. So you have your salary from the army, and you're welcome to go out and, and take a job if you want. But it has to be something you can drop in a second if we call you and we deploy you. So the job that I disliked, was a job that I could take and drop in a second. And I was working for a temp company, so they were sending me left and right. And a lot of those jobs were fun and interesting. I was meeting a lot of people and they called this temp team to say, we need two guys. And this was a factory that makes cat food and dog food and they can it. And what had happened was that something had gone wrong with the programming. And in some cases, the cans were fine, but in some cans they broke. And that meant that the dog food and cat food was coming out and that the maggots were going in. So they had these pallets, which were mixed between tin cans that were okay and tin cans that were covered in cat food and dog food and maggots. No one at that factory wanted to touch that. And we had to go through all of them and find out which ones were fine and which ones were ready to explode with maggots and cat food and dog. And that was a horrible job. I am never going to complain about any job that I have. It's something that you won't choose to do. But if you could choose to do anything for a day, what would it be? Be a rock star. As long as I don't have to sing. Just to go up on stage and go, yeah, 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 do this kind of stuff. I would do that for a day. <laughs> Sign autographs and go and get the photos done. I would do that. You've been a, a pirate in Legoland. You want to be a rock star. But what is your favorite game to watch or a sport to play? A sport to play. I like skiing. Is uh, skiing okay as a sport? Yeah. I, yeah. Here in Hong Kong, I've taken up a lot of uh, hiking. I really love the hiking here. I'm not much of a team sport player. I haven't done a lot of that in my life. I've done a lot of kayaking or running and, and stuff you can do on your own. I don't really like watching sports. I like taking part. So it doesn't matter if I know how to play or if I fully know the rules. I like getting invited and just joining and being a part of it. And of course, we know in your travels that you don't fly. So obviously, you take in all kinds of mode of transportation. But right. what would you rather do? Ride a bike, ride a horse, or drive a car? Horse. Horse sounds like fun. You lose out on a lot when you're driving. You don't get the smells and the temperatures. It depends on the car, I guess, if it's a broken car. It's low and the windows are open. You haven't been to my car, I think. <laughs> and the bicycle, it just seems like a lot of work. 
you know, when you're going uphill and it's sweaty and the sun is shining and then you have a flat tire or the chain breaks. But the horse is almost like uh, it's company. You know, you talk to the horse, you go, oh, you look tired. Let's stop. Here's some hay. You feel like a cowboy kind of and uh, you're going really slow. So you really experience and you meet people and people say, what are you doing on a horse? It's like, well, I'm riding the horse. How are you doing today? <laughs> so you've been to 194 countries in this leg of your journey, just short of nine. This is probably a tough question for you, because if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? Well, I like home, Denmark. So I would certainly go back home where I grew up. I know the language and the culture and where my friends and where my family is, where everything is familiar and comes a little bit more easy because that's where I'm from. But if we were to make it a little bit more interesting and say, I cannot return home, then where would I go? Then I would pick Iceland. I'm really fond of Iceland because Iceland is adventurous. It has volcanoes and glaciers and rivers, but at the same time, it has a modern society. And it's a relatively small population with only 300,000 people, which is like almost village, big village size. People are super friendly and they get everything immediately. The new telephones, the new smartphones, the, the newest movies, everything gets up there immediately. But they're isolated at the same time, which I really like. The main thing for me about Iceland, though, is a mentality that they seem to have, which most other countries do not have. And that is that you are welcome to pursue something in life which is out of the ordinary. In Denmark, where I grew up, you're sort of put on the conveyor belt of life. And then you just follow that conveyor belt. And you go to school, you do your homework and you grow up and then you get further educated and eventually get a job and you start holding hands with someone and you fall in love. And eventually that becomes a family and you get a car and a cat and a dog and a piano and insurance and a pension plan. And, and you just follow this until you draw your pension and you grow old and then it's, it's over. And if you have aspirations, if you're dreaming and saying, no, I want to be an actor or I want to be an author or I want to be something which seems a little bit risky, then my parents would immediately say, you can dream about that and you can have it as a hobby, but you have to go out and get an education and get a real job. That's where the safety is. And in Iceland, it seems that it doesn't matter if you want to pursue some of these atypical things that there's a lot of support in society and it's, it seems more common. If, you, if you've never written a book and you decide that you want to write a book about your garden, then uh, people wouldn't come and say, don't do that, nobody's going to buy it, uh, you're going to waste your time. People would rather say, you know, I'm, I have a spare room, you can stay there so you're not paying rent. I know a publisher, I'm sure we can get this done. I know someone who wrote before, uh, maybe you can meet that person and you can connect and get some ideas. And I really like that about Iceland. It seems more open to interesting ideas than most of the world, which seems very conservative. I've been to Iceland before and my tour guide, I used to be a teacher and then I was a journalist. I tried this for a while and, and, and yeah. it's always, why not? Whereas everyone else asks why in life. Yeah. So Thor, we know that you're in Hong Kong and we know that you are only intended to travel for four days in Hong Kong. So we know you don't have many belongings. I wonder if you could just pick up your computer and give us a quick tour of your stuff. I have a duffel bag, sort of like a short sausage. You unzip it 
And then you just have one big room inside. I put everything in there. I put my sleeping bag. I put my hammock, my mosquito net, my clothing. I've got books. I've got all the electrical wires that you need to charge all sorts of stuff today because we travel with electronics. I'm a goodwill ambassador of the Danish Red Cross. So I have various uh, Red Cross material that I travel with me for uh, photos and for recording information and, and so on. I've packed that bag and unpacked it and packed it again a gazillion times over. So blindfolded, I can find whatever I need within that bag. I know exactly where everything is. I'm just curious, Thor. What is the one thing in your bag that you think that people will tend to not bring, but it's very important if you're traveling this much? I don't know if people would normally pack a pen when they go to travel because they maybe just assume that there will be a pen whenever they need it or they can borrow one. But I've found a pen to be extraordinarily useful, especially when you're crossing as many borders as I do. There's a lot of paperwork. But the pen is also great for when you meet people. Uh, if you don't speak the same language, you can make a drawing. You can draw a bus or you can draw a pizza or you can draw whatever you're trying to explain. And they can look at it and go like, ah, pizza, yeah, this way. Or if you're in a country where you cannot communicate with the taxi drivers, then you could have someone write down the address and write it down in their language as well. Then when you meet people, maybe you want to take down their phone number or um, their email address or their Facebook account, it's this kind of stuff, so you can stay in touch with them. So the pen has been super useful. And I don't think most people, when they're packing, they're going like, did you remember the pen? We, sh we must bring a pen. <laughs> <laughs> so that could be one thing. Family is everything and family is so important. And we want you to tell us more about them. Can you tell us more about your parents? Who are they? What did they do? My parents are two completely different people. They are yin and yang. My father is from Denmark and my mother is from Finland. And my father is a businessman a salesperson. He's a great entertainer. He's very punctual and gets up early in the morning and has his routines and listens to the news on two different channels and gets his information about sports. So he's prepared to go out and meet with people and can talk about different things. Money, he always puts money aside for a rainy day in case something unsuspected happens. He knows that he has some extra money. And my mother is not that person. My mother is adventurous. She studied journalism at one point early on in her life, but didn't quite complete it. And she's been a tour guide on and off throughout her life. She was a stay-at-home mom throughout my childhood. She would bring me to the forest where she would collect mushrooms and tell us stories about trolls and uh, talking trees and this kind of stuff. I can illustrate the difference between my parents by explaining how it went down when I told them that I was going to do this. So I want to go to all the countries in the world in an unbroken journey without flying. My parents are not together uh, anymore. They've been divorced for 25 years or, or more. So the first one I went to was my father. And I brought a map. And uh, I told him, listen, I have something important. I want to tell you about this. And he was so disappointed. He, he was very proud of my career within shipping and logistics and the different places I've been working around the globe and the responsibility I had. And my career path was lined out and he was really happy about that and he saw me throwing it away with this project he was worried that no one would be able to take me serious again and that i would never get a job again and i really had to sell this project 
to my father and talk about future prospects and what this would mean for other people and how it could inspire and motivate people and how this could bring some more visibility to the Red Cross and people might donate more money to the Red Cross and, and get involved or get a deeper understanding about humanitarian work. And I was really, really selling it. And he sort of came on board and eventually went like, well, you're a grown man. You can make your own decisions. Just know that I would probably not do this if I was you. One month after leaving Denmark, and by the way, my father drove me to the border. So he was supportive right from the beginning. He drove me to the border. But one month after leaving Denmark, he was the proudest father in the world. He was so happy in one of the major newspapers in Denmark. It was a four-page newspaper, and one page was just my face. And uh, now he could wow. show this to all his friends and say, look at my son and all this. Stuff. So he came on board. I remember when I went to my mother and we were walking down a quiet street. The weather was beautiful. And my mother is looking at the nearby trees and she's pointing out different trees and going, that looks like an apple tree over there. And that's a pear tree. And I go, oh, that's great, mother. Um, but, but I want to tell you something. It's really important. So I might not be home. I might not see you for many years. I will be going to every country in the world in an unbroken journey completely without flying. And she looks at me and goes, yeah, I also like to travel. I think there's another apple tree over there. It was like telling her that I was going to the dentist or something. But again, my mother is very deeply involved and super supportive. And she writes me all sorts of text messages all the time and sends me photos and lets me know how she's doing. And she's active on Facebook. So if I post something, she comments and she likes. So I have a lot of support from my parents. Oh, wow. You just got married. Well, so we got married online, which means that my wife got married on December 19th, 2020, last year. And I got married the next day. <laughs> Time difference. <laughs> yes. But technically, we're not married in Denmark because Denmark does not accept that people get married online. In Denmark, they go like, that's, that's a little bit too futuristic. You must be in the same room. So it's not accepted in Denmark, but it is accepted in Utah, where the agency is. And it's also valid in Hong Kong, where we are now. And that's why I was able to bring her here to Hong Kong. Congratulations. What was it like being a part? And I, I love the fact that you are growing your beard and you don't want to cut it off until you see her again. That's really sweet. Yeah, it's a great way of seeing how long it's been since the last time we saw each other. So when it's short like this, you know she's probably in the next room. And then when it's down here, you're going to like something went wrong in their relationship when it's touching the floor. We met eight years ago, her friend's wedding and my friend's wedding. So we were there and it, it was no coincidence that we were seated across from each other. That was arranged by our friends. Aww. We began dating and then this project began and we decided to stick together although we would be apart. And she came out to visit me as frequently as possible, which would typically be every three to four months. And she's been out to see me 22 times. When she came on her 10th uh, visit, that was Kenya. And that's when I surprised her. I, I had a ring and brought her on top of the mountain and, and got on one knee and asked her the question. And it's definitely hard, but I don't think it's as hard as it could be. I think we're good at being together while being apart. I think we are good at communicating. You know, this is also modern times. You go back 40 or 50 years, you would have to send a fax or a letter and wait for the mailman. And today you send a message when you get up in the morning and then the other one has that message within seconds. 
And anyone who's ever been in a long distance relationship, they know that it is work and you need to pay attention and you need to do your part to be involved and engaged. Otherwise they cease to exist. Here, here. I can relate to that definitely. Speaking of technology that helps, can you get your phone out right now? Pick someone in your life and leave a meaningful voice message to him or her. You don't have to tell us who. Okay. Hi. Min lille le, jeg elsker dig meget højt, og jeg ved, du er lige på den anden side af væggen. Og nu får du en lydbesked. What did you just say? Well, that's not a part of the deal. You know, in case you speak Danish, then you have access to that message. <laughs> I sent a message to my wife, who's on the other side of the wall, so she could hear it straight through uh, the door. <laughs> and I told her that I love her very much. Oh, <laughs> so we, we, we normally get our guests to leave a message and then we'll say that um, at the end of the show, if that person replies to you, let us know and let us know who that person is. Uh, you're the first on the show to reveal everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very honest. We want to know what made you decide to embark on this journey? It's a good question. And there are many different answers to that question. And all of the answers are true. One easy answer is to say, why not? There's this entire world out there and we know very little about it on an individual level. And by crossing borders and meeting people, you will discover so much more than anyone can ever teach you. And you're likely to learn something about yourself in the process. You'll come home with knowledge about culture and food and geography and fauna and flora, new contacts and friends. So why not? Why not go out and do it? If you have the possibility, if you can organize it, why not? Something else is that this has never been done before. So if you can believe that, less than 300 people have made it to every country in the world. And all of them flew at some point in order to accomplish that. But less than 300 people on a planet with seven and a half billion people have been to all the countries in the world. To sort of put that in perspective, you can look at space and astronauts because we have more than 550 people who have gone to space. So you have far more people who have gone to space than every country in the world. And then the highest mountain on Earth is Mount Everest. And more than 5,000 people have gone on top of Mount Everest. And less than 300 have gone to every country in the world. And then I discovered that no one has done it completely without flying. And that captivated me. And I felt that I had a chance to go out and do something unique and remarkable, something that could belong to only me, but something which I can share with the entire world. And something which hopefully could inspire and motivate people in the process. So that's a different way of, of answering the question. And a completely third way would be to say, I don't know what the future looks like, but I do think that it's going to be a future with more people and possibly with less jobs due to a lot of computers and machines taking over as we already see today. It's not sci-fi. Some of these ships that I'm sailing on board, it used to be a crew with 50 people on board. And now it's 23 or 24 seafarers on board the ships. So I wonder if I will have job security in the future. And if you want to generate job security for yourself, then one way of doing it is to have something that's unique, where no one else can replace you. And if I'm the only one or the first one to go to all the countries in the world without flying, then that will belong to me for the rest of my life. And I can 
perhaps write a book and tell my stories and go out and entertain and educate at schools and universities and companies and so on. So that was certainly also a consideration. Amazing. And I know that based on all your travels, you must have learned so many lessons. But if you could choose one, what is one lesson that you've really, really learned and taken to heart? I think that one thing is to sit at home and understand, yeah, we're all people. We have two eyes and a nose. We see and we taste and we love and we feel and we're all people. Yeah, yeah, I know that. There's no big difference between one person in one country and another one somewhere else on the planet. Even for the three of you, when you're listening to me, I think that you're fully capable of understanding that we share this bond, we have a connection across the planet, that there's no big difference between us. But something else is to see it and experience it and know it. And I know for a fact that we are the same, that we have endlessly much in common across this planet. And there's very, very little that separates us. And for some odd reason, we spend so much time focusing on that tiny, tiny part that separates us and very little time focusing on all that stuff that makes us the same. We get stuck, stuck in traffic and dislike it. Uh, we take selfies, we update social media. A mother loves her child. No matter which border you go across, you'll find that to be true. People that like good food, people they don't like rain too much, people they talk a lot about the weather, people don't like to be cold, people don't like to be hungry, people they do like to have safety and security, people they talk about many of the same subjects. We have so many subjects that are universally global and people talk about that. People they joke, people have fun with each other, people they love to dance. We are so connected. And one thing is to hear it and say, yeah, yeah, I understand it. But something else is truly to know it because you've seen it. Based on all your travels, what are you surprisingly brave about? Yeah, I, I would have to twist it a little bit. I was in a really unfortunate situation years ago where I was inside a vehicle that was fully packed with people where you could comfortably be five people, but we were 11 people inside. And we also had all our luggage and it was an old car and it was a terrible road and we were going really, really fast. And this was the day after New Year. Basically everyone in the car had been partying quite hard and were tired and hadn't had a lot of sleep. So they were falling asleep very quickly. And I was in the back seat and I was watching the driver and I saw that the driver was nodding off. And then eventually it happened. The car was going towards a cliff wall and we were going fast. And we were in the kind of environment where there probably would be no ambulances. But what happened was that I just leaned forward and grabbed the steering wheel. And then I corrected us back up on track. And we kept going with the same speed, but, but then continued straight on the road instead of going into the cliff wall. It was just a reaction. I, I was in the situation and I just acted on what happened. The driver woke up instantly and was really upset with me because I had my hand on the steering wheel. And then he gradually realized that he had fallen asleep and he just kind of nodded towards me. And then he didn't fall asleep again and we kept going. But I don't feel that I was brave because it wasn't a choice. I think bravery is probably if it's something that you're afraid of and you go ahead and you do it anyway. Slightly fast reflexes. Some people would actually just freeze at the moment. I'm not sure how I would react. Did you find that your instincts 
sharpened when you did this project. Yeah, right? absolutely. Your survival I, instincts are sharper now. Yeah, in, in the sense that I can read people. So I can look at people's gestures and their uh, facial expressions, their eyes and their mouth and their breathing and, and all of this. And I just put it all together. And then I can more or less see if someone is lying or is trying to cheat me or if it's someone that I can trust or someone I can not trust. Yeah, I've been in some environments where you had to make good calls or else things could go badly uh, really quickly. And by trusting a lot of these people, I've had incredible experiences. You said before in your blog that your mantra is, a stranger is a friend you never met before. Right. Uh, have you always had this mantra or is it just because of your travels that you realize this? I have not always had that. We designed this project. Some friends and I came together and got everything ready, the website, the project logo, and we found our partners. We got the Geop and Ross DK. And uh, we decided on the name, Once Upon a Saga. We also decided on the motto. And the motto comes from a Danish song where they sing in Danish, in Fremmel and Ven Dubai Kamut Inu. And if you translate that, it becomes a stranger's a friend you've never met before. When I left home, I felt that's nice. I would like that to be true. And within a couple of weeks of traveling, I knew it was true. I'd had so much help and support from people I'd never met before. Till this day, I look back and I say, it would be wrong for me to say that I went to 194 countries on my own because I've been carried by people. I've had so much support. You have absolutely no idea. It's everything from people cheering on me when I needed it. The first five months in Hong Kong, I was staying with a family that said, we hear you're coming to Hong Kong for a few days and do you want to stay in our guest room? As the pandemic broke out, they just extended it. And I ended up staying with that family for five months. These are people I've never met in my life. And it's a key example of that a stranger is a friend you've never met before. In your travels, you met a lot of people. Is there one person that you would say is the most interesting person you've met? No, I've, I've met several interesting people and at various times I can pull out different people and say that that one was a really interesting person or that's a really, really curious uh, persona. But often when it falls on the subject, I, I pull out this guy, he was an Italian captain and I met him in Cuba and he was working for a, a woman who was a multi-billionaire. So he would have to go to a private island in the Bahamas. And this was an island which was just for millionaires and billionaires. From the first moment he met me, he said, I'm going to help you. And this is why. We live in a world where I see that less and less people are helping each other. There's less and less support across this planet. So for that reason, I'm going to help you. And he did give me that boat ride, but not before showing me all sorts of interesting places around Cuba, which I can't really talk to you guys about. And, and also telling me some stories from his past. Before working for this woman, he was uh, working on some luxury yacht where A-list celebrities would uh, rent it. And he told me a story about a woman that everybody knows. I don't, I don't care which country I go to. If I mention her name, people, they go, oh, yeah, yeah. And she wanted to lie naked on the front of the boat under the moon so she would get the power from the moon when she was lying there. And he told me stories like, and I just went like, this guy has seen it all. This guy has done it all. He was really, really interesting character. 
And how do you think you'd like to be remembered? I would like to be remembered as someone who stood out in a good way and did something which wasn't completely selfish in order to help people see the world in a more clear and hopefully a better light than what it's often referred to in mainstream media. Is there any advice you think the 80-year-old future Thor would give the Thor of the day? I think the guy in the future would tell this guy right now to take it easy. Don't spend too much time on the little things. Pick your battles and do it wisely. Relax a little bit. Have a little bit more fun. I think that's what that guy would say. Thor, thank you so much for taking the time to spend invest building this time capsule. It's wonderful listening to all your stories. Honestly, we could sit here for hours and hours. Now's your chance to leave a message to your future grandkids. What would you tell them? I would say, dear future grandkids, I wish that you will find the time and find the resources to go out into the world with an open heart and an open mind and meet people, cross borders, make new friends, and then create your own opinion about this world that we live in. Thor, I just want to say thank you for being our guest today. You, you said a lot of things that really uh, will stick in my head, but among them, it's that philosophy of yours. When you said that people have to trust each other more, I think that's really refreshing to hear, especially in these jaded times. So thank you very much for that. My pleasure. I want your stories. These stories, they do come at a very high price. I'm happy that I have these stories, but if I could go back, I would not do this. I would definitely tell myself, turn around, don't do this. But I'm here now and I don't want to give it up. I'm really happy with everything I have, but it came at a high price. Really? Wow. Yeah. I can imagine there are many moments like that, but you're so close to the end. Nine countries to go. Yeah, it's a small number, but they're spread out and they're all island nations and it's not going to take less than a year. And that's if we had no pandemic. So it feels like I'm far away. Well, we'll be monitoring your progress. Thank you <laughs> yeah. very much. So thank you, Thor, once again. And thank you to all our lovely viewers. There was one viewer, Cleo Sky, her seven-year-old son wanted to ask Thor what his favorite country was and why. I think Thor answered that. That's Iceland, right? I yeah. don't really like pinpointing a favorite country, but <laughs> if I can twist the question, uh, I would go with, you know, where, where would I live if I couldn't live in Denmark? And then I would answer Iceland because it is a great country. But I have about 194 favorite countries right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> and you're welcome in all of them, I'm sure. So thank you again to all our viewers. Watch out for Thor in your country. It's an amazing episode, Thor. Thank you so much. I've been Jen, Joey. That's Percy Chandler and Ange Monica and Thor Rost. <laughs> <laughs> Indiana Jones, definitely outside of our league now. Bye, bye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. bye. And that was Dear Future Grandkids, the podcast with Thor Pedersen. Follow Thor's adventures on his blog, Once Upon a Saga. Thanks, Thor, and also to Thor's mum, who's been commenting on the Idea First Facebook page. And you can check out the full live stream version of this episode on the Idea First Company's Facebook or YouTube channel. You'll see pictures of Thor, including his proposal to his now wife on the top of Mount Kenya. 
And let's give a couple of shout outs to Jean, who says the show has been part of my Saturday routine. Thanks, Jean. To Debbie, Indina, Marcial, Chez, Calvin, Jocelyn, Eping, Farouz, Madeline, and to everyone who's liked and commented on the show. We appreciate you. Follow the Idea First Company on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for more about the show. We would love you to press the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review if you have time. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.